here I am again, visiting again. Uh, I visited a few weeks ago if you weren't here. And uh, so, yeah, I you know, didn't do anything wrong. I was invited back. But hey, today, you know, there's another opportunity to be not invited back. So, so, um, so today, uh, yeah, I will be talking about those two passages, but there's a lot of passages we'll be talking about today. So today we're less talking about particular passages, more two views that we see in the Bible. Today I'm going to be presenting to you attention in the Bible. So attention in between the times when the Bible talks about uh, how things here on earth will be destroyed and God will uh, give us a new place to live. And also we'll be looking into how at, in, in other places in the Bible, uh, the Bible talks about how we'll keep living on the earth in the future, but uh, the earth will be, uh, uh, albeit a bit different. So, to how it is now. So, uh, which one will it be? At the end of time, when Jesus comes to judge the world, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll think about this tension uh, today, and there's lots of passages we'll be looking at, so apologies in advance for the flipping around, but they will be on the screen as well. So, I thought I'd start, uh, as I often do, with a story from my childhood. Uh, so, here's a story of my childhood to get you thinking about this tension. So, when I was little, uh, well, when you were little, did your parents ever tell you something like, Oh, make sure you keep your clothes clean. So, uh, you know, they say, say things like, oh, don't wipe your mouth on your shirt or your hands on your shirt and stuff like that. Well, I remember at one point, I think I was about eight, uh, so my mum got really sick of washing my shirts every day. Uh, she told me, look, how about you wear your clothes, all your clothes for two days in a row and then put it in the wash. Then I don't have to wash up as much. Uh, but of course, this did not include underwear. <laughs> so, uh, so I thought that was pretty. I was pretty clever as an eight-year-old, and I figured it, figured it out. So I meant uh, this meant that uh, every two days I could uh, I could get my clothes dirty, but on the first day I had to be really clean. So on the first day, wearing a shirt, I tried religiously not to get any stains on my shirt. I had a lot of white shirts for some reason. And then on the second day, oh, you know, I could wipe my mouth on my shirt. I could, you know get it dirty, if you play in the dirt, doesn't really matter, because that day, it was going to get cleaned anyways. <laughs> My poor mum. So uh, obviously, uh, I wasn't aware that some stains aren't so easy to wash out. Some stains don't wash out, you know, now I've figured out as a parent. So, um, but uh, I learned from that very young age that you only need to look after something so long as you want it to last, right? But not longer than that, not any longer than that. Well, what about our world, the world that we live in? Uh, is it something we should be looking after and keeping good so that it'll last? Or is it something that God is going to put in the wash? Or something God is going to throw away completely? Well, that's the tension we're going to look at in the Bible today. Uh, today we're going to look at, uh, talk about uh, what we should be doing in our world now uh, in light of these realities. What I mean is that uh, God is telling us to look after the earth in the Bible, but He also tells us uh, that he's bringing the world to an end. Uh, so how should we live in the world now in light of these realities? Uh, well, the question we're going to try and figure out the answer to is, if Jesus is returning, what should we do now? If Jesus is returning, then what should we do now? Well, you might have never thought about this before, uh, but how we think about what is, uh, uh, what is going to last in our world, uh, it's going to shape the way um, that we'll live our lives, right? At least it ought to. It, it, particularly as Christians, uh, it ought to apply to us uh, when deciding what we choose to do for work or for our career uh, and what we choose to do day to day uh, with the rest of our lives. What's the best thing you should do in light of these realities? 
what, in other words, what actually matters? And how should the gospel shape uh, what you do? Well, we're only going to dip the very tip of our toes on in this topic because it's a big one, but my goal is that it might stimulate, stimulate your thoughts about uh, what, uh, what will be left in our world and what we should do uh, in light of Jesus' return. In other words, uh, for us to carefully consider what matters. So, the Bible-believing Christians differ on what they think about this. They generally land in two camps, uh, as a lot of things, and the two camps uh, are these ones, uh, continuity and discontinuity. Uh, Both of these views concern what is going to happen to the world that we live in. So, the two views are called continuity, discontinuity. But uh, So, what do they mean? So, basically, continuity means that you believe that uh, the same world that we live in now is going to be renewed but continue after Jesus returns, so I guess the one on the right, and discontinuity is the more the one on the left, Um, though maybe not literally like that, but uh, discontinuity is uh, where we believe that the world as we know it will be completely destroyed and replaced uh, with a new one. Well, that's what we're going to look at today, the tension between these two ideas. We're going to see how these two ideas play out in the Bible uh, and which of these uh, views are a better reflection of how things will be when Jesus returns. Uh, by the way, something I won't get to address in my sermon today is, uh, but something to think about as you read the Bible is this. Uh, so the Bible actually never talks about uh, Christians going to a place that's not physical when Jesus returns. The end point is not somewhere that's not physical um, and only spiritual. The Bible never talks about God's kingdom as a place that's just spiritual and not physical. So something to think about as you read the Bible. And yeah, prove me wrong if you, yeah, if you like. You know. Well, let's see. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's not me. It's the Bible that matters. So, um, uh, so let's start with discontinuity. Uh, what does discontinuity uh, mean? What is it? Well, the Bi- uh, well people in the, uh, this view believe that nothing except God uh, and the gospel and the people who believe in these things will continue on into the new creation, since these are the only things that will survive into the new creation. So these uh, are the only things that matter uh, as a response. So they tend to focus on how we can impact these things. Uh, That is, how can we impact these things? Well, by telling people about Jesus and helping people to believe. Uh, People in this view see that the world, as we know it, will be completely destroyed. So why work so hard on things that uh, won't last? Wouldn't that be a waste of time? Well, that's uh, what people in this view think. Uh, Well, uh, where do we get this idea from in the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament, we hear plenty about this, uh, um, but uh, this is one place that we hear about it, particularly in the latter prophets. So uh, we get the gist of what the prophets say in this one little passage in Zephaniah chapter 1, uh, verse 2 to 3. So it says, uh, I will sweep away the earth, uh, sorry, I sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. I'll sweep away both man and beast, I'll sweep away the birds of the, in the sky and the fish in the sea and the idols that cause the wicked to stumble uh, when I destroy all mankind on the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So that's Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 2 to 3. Uh, but what's the picture we get here? Well, the picture we get here is that everything on the earth will be destroyed, right? Every living thing, uh, everything man-made, including idols, the things that people worship that aren't God, uh, will uh, be destroyed. And with the statement, declares the Lord, so that's code in, uh, in the prophetic writings, that God will surely do this thing. God is promising that this is going to happen. 
Uh, so with that, uh, we can assume that that's how it's going to be. So God is coming to judge all the people of the earth, and its consequences will be felt by everything. Uh, well, that's what the Old Testament says about uh, what will happen to our world. But what does the New Testament say? Well, you'd think it might say something different, but surprisingly, it doesn't. In verse uh, chapter uh, Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 to 13, it says this. So jumping all the way to the other side of the Bible, um, I've got lots of bookmarks here today. So uh, it says this. Um, I'll just find the right book. Yeah, here it is. So uh, 2 Peter 3, 10 to 13, basically says the same thing, but with a little bit more detail. It says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth will, uh, and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Uh, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with His promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Well, similarly, this passage is talking about the heaven and the earth as we know it, them today, and, uh, and it says that it will be completely destroyed and be no more. Here, Peter instructs people that our world is dying and that it will be completely destroyed by fire. And the only reason it hasn't ended already is because God is being patient and merciful, waiting for people uh, to repent, uh, to recognize Him, to change their mind about Him and how they're living. Well, how, does, uh, how do these passages show us? Uh, uh, what do these passages show us? These passages just show us that the, the world, at least in its current form, well, it won't last. Uh, so we should be holy and godly in all we do in the present age as we wait for God's judgment, Jesus' return, uh, and as we, uh, uh, so that we can be a part of this new creation. But how do we uh, be holy and blameless in the meantime? Well, people in this view will go to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, it's on the screen if you can see it or you can flip there. Um, so it says, uh, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of of the fullness of Christ. So how do we become holy and blameless? Well, it's simple. Uh, teaching the Bible can help people to be holy and blameless. By going to church, by studying the Bible, by listening to God, uh, good Bible-based sermons or people teaching the Bible or learning from others from the Bible uh, or teaching it. So people from this discontinuity position would emphasize the priority given uh, to preaching of the word, um, the supreme uh, priority, I guess, for the preaching of the word. Gospel work and telling people about Jesus uh, is the uh, only work that matters uh, over and above uh, secular work. Well, uh, why is this work more important than secular work? Well, it's because it's the only thing that can help people to stay alive uh, in, the, in the reality that is God's judgment. 
what work could be more important than that? Well, let's take some time to analyze that view. That's that view. And let's take time to analyze it and see what's helpful about it. So let's start by looking at what's unhelpful. So what's unhelpful about this view? Well, firstly, what's unhelpful about this view is that it undermines the importance uh, of the the tasks that God wants us to do as Christians and not neglect the ordinary things, you might say. So in the New Testament, Christians are instructed to do the ordinary things, uh, to do these less important things too. In fact, if these less important things aren't done, uh, it affects uh, what people think of the message that we bring to them, that we teach to them. Uh, it, it shapes how people think about the gospel. So we see this in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, 1 Ch- Timothy 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 8 says this. It says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So what it says here is that if Christians don't look after their own family, uh, when they're, uh, well, what are they considered to be like? Well, it, it paints it pretty starkly. It says that they're con- to be considered worse than an unbeliever. So I don't actually think this passage is talking about the fact that if you don't look after your family, you're not a Christian. I don't actually think it's saying that. Um, but uh, it, what it's saying is that if your behavior as a follower of Jesus is worse than someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. You don't do the things that you're meant to be doing, then it's shameful. And it has an effect on the message that you bring. And it has an effect on the God that you apparently serve. And it makes people uh, not want to listen to your message or it discredits the message that you uh, represent. And I think the principles of this passage also apply to friends and family, uh, sorry, uh, friends as well, uh, and those around you, your neighbours, uh, I think that you could, you could say that from this passage. That's not a stretch. So, yeah, if you don't do these things, it makes people not want to believe in the gospel. If you neglect the ordinary things God has for you to do in a godly manner, uh, yeah, it won't be helpful. Well, that's what's unhelpful. But what can we learn from looking at this position? What's helpful? Well, we can learn that the world and uh, that we're living in, well, it's all coming to an end. Right? There's no... A nicer way to put it, uh, things on earth here as they are, or well, they won't last forever, and so we really shouldn't be fixated on them, on things of temporary value uh, that will dec- decay and won't last. Instead, we should focus on uh, holiness and righteousness, and and the holiness and righteousness of those uh, around us, because this will help people to survive uh, in the destruction God has in store for the earth and its people. Well, how do we make people righteous? Well, like I already said, uh, through teaching people about uh, the Bible, about Jesus and how to follow him. So right now we should take uh, this uh, responsibility seriously, uh, take the priority given to preaching and teaching the gospel, uh, particularly because uh, people's lives are at stake. People's lives are short. We don't have a lot of time to do that. And the time that we have to teach them... uh, like I said, is limited. So teaching people the gospel is to be first priority over and above other things that we seek to do in life. Uh, People are at real risk of a seriously uh, disastrous outcome. And one day, teaching people about the gospel and saving them, well, unfortunately, it won't be, will no longer be possible. Okay, well, that's the discontinuity view that we've looked at. Well, let's look at the other side, 
Uh, let's uh, see what we can learn from the other side, the continuity view. What is continuity? And there's actually a bit more thinking about this that's been done recently, uh, and I'll talk about that very soon. Uh, continuity is the belief that things that we do uh, now will matter in the new creation. Well, why? Uh, because the earth uh, won't be completely destroyed, but will be transformed into the new creation. Uh, so in this view, the new creation uh, will be new, but not completely new. Uh, we see this in the Bible because it uh, consistently talks about two different ages, uh, but the same world, not two different worlds. So one place we see this continuity is in Revelation chapter 21. Uh, so let's see what, how it paints this picture of uh, how things will be when Jesus returns. So Revelation chapter 21, verse 2 to 3, it says this. Actually, we'll be jumping around in, within 21, so if you open up chapter 21, it will benefit you greatly. So it says, I saw the holy city, uh, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. So here it depicts uh, heaven coming down on earth. So for heaven to be able to do that, uh, it needs to exist. Uh, and it seems like uh, it's the same one that we have now. Um, there's no evidence to show us otherwise. Uh, and what does it come down into? Well, uh, the heaven comes down into the earth, which is below the heavens before, and though possibly not in exactly the same state, but essentially the same thing. So the things that were before do continue in some way. It's not uh, a new, a blank slate. So also you'll notice that the things that the walls and the gates in the new Jerusalem are made of, uh, this uh, place that will be uh, where God is reuniting people to himself, well, well, what are they made of? Well, it's made of things that were formerly found on the earth. Uh, things like jewels and pearls and gold. Um, things, maybe not in the same configuration or in the same size, but uh, things that were found on the earth. So in this new creation, you'll see that Yes, it's made of the same stuff. Uh, at least there's some kind of correspondence. Yes, God can make these things from scratch again, but, uh, but yeah, it, it, does, it seems like it's making a connection between how things are now and how things are in the future. So, but also, so similarities there, but also you'll see there's differences as well. I can't be blind to that. In verse 5, it says, uh, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Well, what's new? Um, so the most significant difference uh, is that there will be no more sin or suffering or death. Uh, so we see this in verse 4. He's, uh, it says, He, or God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Nor will there be any impurity or evil there. We see this in chapter uh, 21, ver uh, verse 27. So, yeah, the old order of things, the pain, the suffering, uh, will be gone. That's what's different about this creation, but it seems like it's still the same creation. So, Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, uh, says that the, he the first heavens and the first earth had passed away. Uh, so, it's, yeah, as, you, as you can see, it's, it's a bit messy, isn't it, here? And that's my point. Uh, some things are no more, and some things are strangely familiar. Uh, or, the some, or the same thing as before, but different. 
Well, that's my point. That, that uh, what, what I want to get from this and what I want to, you to see is that there's a sense of continuity between the old and the new creation. It's not just completely brand new. Well, what about the two ages I talked about before? Uh, well, in the Gospels, we see plenty of mentions of these two different ages, and that might be uh, and the transition we might have just seen in Revelation chapter 21, when we transition from the old to the new. Um, but Jesus also talks about this in Matthew chapter 12, verse uh, 32. Uh, let me go there. Yep, he says this. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So what we see here is there's two distinct ages for our world. Um, but this doesn't mean that the new creation will be a different world, since Jesus uses the word age, not world. Uh, forgiven in this age or the next, not forgiven in this world or the next. You never see that. So there's only one world we live in, not two. Uh, so people argue that there will be a continuity between the old and the new creation. We'll still be living in the same world. Also, people from the continuity perspective uh, argue that there are things that God has asked us to do and wants us to keep doing. Uh, well, where do we see this? Well, we saw this in our Bible reading earlier in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. So all the way back to the beginning. Uh, so this is where God creates mankind in His image and likeness so that they will rule over and subdue and cultivate the earth. And what does God think of uh, this work that He has for us to do? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, a few verses later, God includes uh, the earth and all that is in it, including the job that He gives to mankind, what He calls very good. So where God calls all that He makes, including the, like, the work we do, uh, very good after he finishes creating it. This, is, uh, this tells us that the work that we're given to do on earth in God's place is extremely dignifying uh, since the one who commands us to do it is, uh, is infinitely worthwhile. Uh, so the work that we do, therefore, is worthwhile, uh, at least because he commands it. So not only that, but it says that we're made in his image as well. And since we are creatures made in God's image, uh, and we can do work that in some way resembles God's work, uh, which uh, we're told is very good. So that's uh, so. This is something that Tim Keller has picked up on, and he writes about it a bit more. That I said earlier, people have been talking about this. A lot of the reason is Tim Keller. So he writes this book called Every Good Endeavor, uh, and he argues that ruling and subduing all things and cultivating the earth isn't that. Uh, isn't the secular work that we do a part of this work? Um, so, and so he concludes, yes. So Tim Keller argues that any work that we do, uh, therefore, can be kingdom work. Since the, uh, what we work at and create is the stuff that will eventually form the foundations of what will be made into the new creation. Uh, well, the, the, the difficulty about this is how exactly that works out is, is a difficult uh, question to answer. Um, but, but he says, hey, there might be a possibility that these things will make it into the new creation. So what does it mean? Well, uh, what some, someone from a discontinuity perspective might not consider kingdom work, so the other view, uh, uh, things that aren't directly to do with teaching people about God or teaching people about Jesus 
Well, now they can be called building God's kingdom as well. Because this uh, new kingdom will be made from the things that were formerly not kingdom stuff. So now all these things are done uh, can potentially be kingdom work, including art and music. Uh, yes, even uh, the singing this morning, uh, you know, uh, Ethan and uh, other people singing up the front could make it into the new creation. And it might be part of the new creation. So now potentially anything that we do can have eternal value. Uh, this kind of thinking might sound wacky to you. How's, how's that going to make its way into the new kingdom? But actually, it's not a new idea at all. In fact, the very word vocation originated from the Latin word for calling. Uh, and Martin Luther, the person who started uh, the Protestant Reformation, uh, was the one who, one of the first people uh, to call normal work or ordinary work or secular work uh, God's calling during the Reformation, arguing that ordinary work uh, can and does praise God if done right. Well, how can our ordinary work praise God? Well, people from a continuity position will argue that now that we know Christ and his intention for our work, that we are supposed to glorify him, then we can fulfill what Jesus asked us to do in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Uh, so Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this. It says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So now, if we do our ordinary work well, uh, we lead people to glorify the Father. This ordinary work is, is redeemed, if you like. So if we do our ordinary work well, it motivates our people to glorify our Father, who motivates us to do our work in a God-honoring way. Well, this is the continuity view. Uh, well, what can we learn from this view? Well, we can learn that uh, the creation was and still is very good. So why would God want to abandon it? So this is what uh, N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, uh, argues in his book, Surprised by Hope. Uh, uh, so in this book, he argues that going, uh, going on to a non-physical or merely spiritual existence in heaven after we die, well, that's really no salvation at all. Since the physical creation uh, and our bodies, which were made very good by God, well, they're not saved or fixed. He argues that if God made everything very good, why would God want to abandon it? And then an older writer, Anthony Hakima, he writes this book called The Bible and the Future, uh, and he argues similar, along similar lines. He argues that if God has to throw out his present creation, this present creation, then hasn't God lost to Satan? Satan has succeeded in ruining God's good creation if heaven and the earth need to be thrown out. Well, that's not just not what we see in the Bible, is it? Even though uh, the creation is, uh, is fallen, uh, God is, is not keen to abandon it. He wants to fix it and redeem it. And from this view, uh, we learn also that uh, all that we do is dignified, isn't it? Since God commands us to do it, and he is dignified uh, in his being, in essence of who he is. And as we bear his image, as we do it, uh, so it's, if, if that's the case, then it's important for us not to devalue something that God himself values. But as I say these things, it's important for us not to 
trump other things that God values. There's a priority in the things that God chooses uh, we should do uh, above the ordinary things as well. So, uh, so like, like, a, like things like teaching people about Jesus, about the Bible. Think about it this way. So, uh, so picture someone gets to heaven and, uh, and Jesus. it's time for Jesus to judge people at the throne. And a man approaches the throne. Let's call this man Dave. I don't know why. Uh, so, uh, and, he go, uh, and then God, Jesus asks him, how did you go trusting me in your life? And then he says something along these lines. I trusted you with all of my life in my secular work. Uh, I worked hard at doing it well. Uh, so he's a businessman. Uh, but when it came to proclaiming your word and teaching people about Jesus, uh, you know, I found that I wasn't so good at doing that. So uh, I was better at securing business deals and acquiring businesses and making profits. So at the end, I, did, I tried to do those things well, so there wasn't time to tell people about Jesus. Since, look, other people are better than me at it anyways. It's not my spiritual gift. Uh, well, I just can't see Jesus being happy with a response like that. Uh, it's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but my point is that God has a particular thing he's doing in the world, um, a special work, if you like, uh, that's happening, that he wants to happen above other things, though the other things have value. So above all, he's making, uh, he's making happen in the world, like the ordinary things uh, he has for us to do, um, like you know how we treat our family, our neighbours, uh, awesome as dig- and as dignified as it is, uh, um, unfortunately, a lot of it doesn't contribute much to God's uh, special work of helping people uh, to know Jesus, of saving people. Well, those are some hopefully helpful reflections from this view. Um, but w- w- what might it look like to live out this view, uh, the continuity view, uh, that everything we do can honour God, uh, even ordinary things? Well, it looks like doing our work well. Uh, and being good workers in whatever we're doing uh, on purpose so that uh, God might be honoured and pleased with our work uh, in doing our work in ways that reflect God's character, uh, that people would see our work and that it would uh, create opportunities for us to talk to them about Jesus. And God willing, those people will come to know Jesus uh, through us, possibly through other people, but usually it's, uh, it's us that needs to do it. So we should do everything in a manner that might help people to know Jesus. But just to be clear, as I say these things, uh, so I'm not saying that everything on earth absolutely is going to continue on in the new creation. I'm not even saying that we should care for material things so much because you know it's the stuff that the new creation is going to be made with. Uh, God is able to fix those things uh, and change them and make them better. Um, and how he's going to do that, I'm not exactly sure. But what I'm convinced about from the Bible and what it teaches us is that God cares about how we treat the world, uh, the animals and the people in it because it has value in what it contributes to God's glory. The way we treat these things has a value in God's glory uh, now and at the end of time. So that's how what we do will have a real impact on how good God is made to look in the future. God's glory in the future. That's what really matters. Well, I hope I've been able to help you to see that both views, well, they're, they're not perfect. Um, so I don't want you to just join one camp uh, and then disregard the other. But I hope I've been able to help you to see that both sides actually reflect the truth. 
uh, how things will be when Jesus returns. Because the Bible doesn't teach, uh, it does indeed teach both views. And when the Bible teaches both views, what do we do? We don't pick the best one, but we have to hold them together. We have to hold them in a balanced view, even though sometimes that's difficult. Well, what are some considerations for having a balanced view? How do we do that? Well, uh, let's go to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23 uh, to 26. Uh, so this is our last passage. So 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 26, it says this, and it might be familiar to you. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising question of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And later on in verse 31 to 33, it says, So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to, uh, to please everyone in every way, uh, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And I think this passage is really helpful uh, for helping us have a balanced view. Um, it teaches us that the things that we do now uh, are important and the way that we do it is important, but also it, it has this view that the things as they are aren't going to continue and this future reality is what matters more. Uh, it teaches us that everything we do now could, praise God, even lead to the saving of people as long as it's done in a way that glorifies God. So this passage is about being thoughtful about whether something you do glorifies God as you do it uh, in the, and the freedom made available to you in Christ. So in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is encouraging Christians to exercise freedom in, the way that, uh, in a way that considers the impact of our behaviours and our actions on others, to prevent ourselves uh, from being a point of stumbling or unnecessary annoyance at least uh, and cause people to lose faith or discredit the faith. Hindering people's faith as they see someone who follows Jesus doing something that they would consider to be wrong. So in what you do, be thoughtful and do things in as, uh, as much as you can within your ability to help someone to be saved. Or at least don't discourage them from believing in Jesus uh, through your actions. So holding to the fact that the Bible teaches us that both our current world is ending uh, and that some things will still go on into the new creation will help us avoid uh, some major pitfalls. Uh, and here are some pitfalls that I've, I've got for you uh, to avoid. And the first one is, pretty, uh, is fairly obvious. So let's have a look. The first pitfall, what, so behold, uh, what's a wrong way to think about these things? Well, it's putting all your time and energy into serving God one way. Usually, it's either church ministry, or it could be family, or secular work, or hobbies. Uh, it could be anything. Uh, if you choose to serve God fully in one way and not the others, and, uh, for, or, for example, at work, uh, depending on the circumstances of your work, well, it usually will have implications on how you serve God uh, at church or, or, or God in other areas of your life, in your family. So everything you do has a cost. Uh, what I mean is whatever you choose to do in life at any moment, if you put energy and time somewhere, then often something else suffers or is impacted some way. In all aspects of your life, we should be helping people to know Jesus within our ability. Uh, we need to be balanced. 
And so don't just serve God in one way uh, and not others. Serve God in all ways as you choose to do things. Or consider God at least in, uh, uh, in everything you choose to do. Well, the second pitfall is diminishing the value of the ordinary work, right? Diminishing the value of uh, work done, serving God in secular work as second best. Yeah, don't do that. Uh, because we don't actually know the details or have a broader view of what God is doing in the world. God can do things through very ordinary things. Uh, God is uh, also bringing people to know Him through ordinary means and circumstances. This is often what happens, not only at church on a Sunday, but often in the workplace or even over your neighbor's fence or at a family gathering even. Much happens before someone steps into a church and commits their life to Jesus. And I want to encourage you to have a bigger view of God. Um, consider that there are some things that don't seem useful to God in your eyes or in people's eyes, but God might use them to help people to come into his kingdom. So that's something we should think about. And then also uh, another pitfall is not appreciating the very good things that God has given us to enjoy. So, so not fully appreciating what it is that we're entering into. So what I mean is that if we don't appreciate the good things that God gives us to enjoy now, are the foretaste of the new creation, then we won't properly appreciate what's coming, right? So, you know, if we don't fully appreciate what God is like now, then it won't drive us to want to be in the next creation. It won't drive us to help others be a part of the next creation. But as I say this, I know that we're sinful and sin is deceptive. Uh, we're tempted to think, oh, I'm allowed to enjoy things here, so let's do that. Uh, with all of my energy. We need to be careful as we do that not to idolize it. We shouldn't settle only for a foretaste of the new creation and give up on the more satisfying uh, actual new creation. Um, it's like eating the entree and not eating the mains. That'd be silly. Uh, and lastly, the last pitfall uh, uh, is utopianism. So uh, this is not to be uh, confused with the continuity view. Uh, so it's really popular right now. In fact, uh, governments are, and organizations are run this way in our world today, in our secular world. So it's this idea that we should look after the earth because uh, for the future of humanity because that's all that we can be sure about. See how we might confuse this kind of thinking with uh, the Christian thinking about continuity about, and also the co Christian thinking about seeking to love our neighbor and advocating for people and things that don't have a voice. So we want to do these things but we want to do it for a whole different reason to that. We don't want to do this and look after the earth because of us. We want to look after the earth and our neighbors and, and do things that glorify God because of God. So as we do these things, we want to do these things under a God who helps us to do these things best, and he will do these things in the future. So what does this look like? So does that mean that I can't join Greenpeace or I can't uh, help with other initiatives uh, that help the environment because the people think differently to me? No, I think we could join them in doing those things, but something we can't do is we can't be them in, in the sense that we do these things in, in order to serve God. Uh, we don't do these things purely driven by people. So that's, that's different. So, yeah, some people might be th thinking that's, you know, picking between straws, but I think it's actually pretty important. Um, so we can get alongside people who want to help our environment, but we want to do it for a whole, uh, a whole different reason. 
Well, these are some, some of the pitfalls uh, that we can fall into as we think about continuity, discontinuity. But basically, what should we be doing now? That's what we really want to know. Well, right now, uh, we should seek to work out what God wants us to do in our lives as he returns. In other words, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out what it looks like for you to, uh, to follow him. Uh, God is going to judge everything that you do. So figure out what he wants you to do with the time and the situations he gives you. Well, to wrap it all up, let's come back to the question uh, that I had at the beginning. If, uh, if Jesus is returning now, oh, returning soon, uh, what should we do now? If Jesus is returning, what should we do now? Well, we should uh, continue glorifying God in whatever we do, knowing that his glory will tangibly continue into the new creation. So if we glorify him in the things that we, doing, we do, then it will go into the new creation. So what we do now does matter. The things that we do now either glorify God or don't. The things we do now either prepare people for Jesus' return or not. So what should we do? We should try to prepare ourselves and others as best we can for this new creation without neglecting the things that we should already be doing by looking after our families, caring for God, uh, the creation. Uh, we need to be balanced in the way that we glorify God now uh, and in the future. This is what honours God most now. Well, uh, lots of things I've uh, talked to you about, very probably confusing um, and probably really hard to do. But how about I pray for us as we think about how we might live our lives now uh, in a way that... Uh, considers future realities as well as the things that God has asked us to do now. So let's pray. Uh, dear God, I thank you so much for your grace, uh, that you care about the things that we do and you want us to enjoy and invest into ordinary things that you uh, have made for us to do and enjoy them. Um, but Lord, I pray that you would help us not to, as we do that, to neglect uh, the future realities uh, and the priority that you uh, teach us through Jesus of preaching your word and sharing Jesus with the people that we know. Lord, I pray that you would help us figure out what it is you want us to do with the time that we have remaining. Help us to remember that this is not the only reality. There's another reality that's coming, and we want anyone we, we can to be a part of this new reality, including ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we would uh, use our time wisely, that uh, in whatever we do, it might lead to your glory uh, as you return, that you might be pleased with us. Uh, uh, when, you, uh, when Jesus returns, when you return, Lord. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you help us to uh, think about these things and yeah, talk about these things with one another and with you. We ask these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.